Have you ever been in a situation with a person who needed your help but could not receive your help because your baggage was so significant that it interfered with what you could have done for the person in need? I'm talking about your hang-ups getting in the way of helping a struggling soul. There you have someone before you who needs you to be Jesus for them. But your personal issues trip you up and get in the way, and thus you don't get to be Jesus for them. Well, that's what happened to me, and I'm going to share with you a, a little bit of an autobiographical sketch of one of the lowlights in my life. Welcome to Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are here. The title of this podcast is Irritated Over What a Person Does Will Keep You From Helping Them. As you listen to my story, I, I trust that if, if it's true for you, that the Lord will illuminate your mind and help you to reflect carefully on maybe a moment or two where where someone needed your help, but you were irritated with them in such a way that it hindered you from being Jesus to them. If you want to read this podcast, I want you to read it. This is an article, not an episode. We have now made the complete transition. Every article, every episode, every podcast will all land in one box. It's called Life Over Coffee. And so if you haven't subscribed to the Life Over Coffee podcast, please do that on the platform where you want to listen to these episodes. Also, if you enjoy them, please write a a nice review and give us a five-star rating. If you don't enjoy them, please let us know and show us how we can improve. I do want to hear uh, your constructive feedback. But if you do enjoy them, please write a review and give us a nice rating because our objective is to reach as many people as possible with the practical message of Jesus Christ. We are heading toward the middle of April 2021, and on April the 16th and 17th, Lucia and I, and Lord willing, a couple of our children will be in Sarasota, Florida at Calvary Chapel Church. I will be doing a marriage retreat there, and if you are in the area or can get to the area, Florida is a is a uh, happy and and longed for destination for many people these days. Maybe it's time to go to a little marriage retreat in Sarasota, Florida. Go to the Calvary Chapel website uh, in Sarasota, Florida, and you can look under their events and scroll down and you'll find the marriage retreat and get all the information that you need. And if you're able, or maybe you know someone in the area, just send them the link from the Calvary Chapel Sarasota website so that they can sign up. It's just going to be it's going to be a few days away. Again, we have moved our podcast over. Uh, all the articles now will be Life Over Coffee. Your Daily Drive will continue to exist in an archived form. So if you land on any article on our website that has a, 
a old Your Daily Drive podcast. It will still be there for you. All right, let me talk about my one of my lowlights. I've shared this story before. There's another article on the website that talks about this story that I'm going to share with you, but I've teased it out just a little bit more because I wanted to address this idea of my self-righteousness, and even after all these years, it still gets in the way. And so you can read this article. There are a lot of embedded links here that you're welcome to uh, just go deeper inside and you can use this as a life project uh, take this article and all the embedded links and just just hunker down in it for a long while the title is irritated over what a person does will keep you from helping them uh, let's let's go back in time look at the the old VHS tape of one of my most embarrassing moments it was 1988 when i met a young man who was at the end of his rope life was not turning out for him the way that he had hoped he had relational problems drug problems employment problems financial difficulties tattoos and tattered clothes he had long messy hair few friends and he did not know my jesus he also smoked cigarettes most of his problems were easy to see. I mean, it was just out there and objective, hanging all over him. But even a discerning eye could even pick out some of his heart dysfunctions just by spending a few moments with him. I was out on a Saturday just canvassing at different areas. I, I would do that on, on occasion, and I landed into a little small trailer park, and this uh, young man was out there, and so I started talking to him. This is something that I truly enjoy to doing even to this even to this day when we're out traveling and I see somebody, I will strike up a conversation because I'm I am a I'm a I'm a sucker for the story. I just want to hear the story, somebody's story. Just tell me all about you. And I love talking to people. And sometimes my children will say, "Well, there he goes. There he'll be back a half hour later or so." And so I've always been that way because people are a huge curiosity to me. And I didn't realize I didn't connect this dot when I was younger. Of course, I was even as a kid. I'm talking about a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid. Of course, I couldn't connect that dot because I'm so mature, the dot immature at that time. The dot that I'm talking about is that, that God has given me a, a passion to, to love people and to know people and to be interested in people and intrigued by people and the psychology of people. Who would have thought that it would lead to a, a career of helping people? But all of that is part of the linkage in the chain of my life. And now as I look back on it, it's like, oh, I was always like that. And so there I was standing in a trailer park talking uh, to a man who, who, smoked, who, who smoked cigarettes. After a few evangelistic type questions, you know, if you died today or tonight, do you know where you would wake up tomorrow? It quickly became apparent he not only needed a friend, but he needed a savior. 
At first, I was unsure if he was interested in what I had to say or if he was just another lonely dude who didn't have anybody else to to hang out with. In the South, you will find a lot of people like that. And what I mean is they'll hang with you and talk with you because we're kind of laid back. And if you don't have anything else to do, we'll just chat you up for a while. And that's a common occurrence. And so I didn't know if he was genuinely interested in what I was selling or if he just didn't have anything else to do on a Saturday afternoon. But regardless, we hit it off and struck up a friendship. And I am sure that my religion was a curiosity to him, and he wasn't offended by me. And he was open to hearing about my Jesus and even accepted my invitation to attend one of our Sunday evening church meetings. Now, because he didn't have a driver's license or a car, I offered to pick him up to bring him to our service. Sunday evening service is is how it worked out. And so on the way to the church meeting, my new friend asked me if he could smoke a cigarette. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. I had just purchased a brand new, spanking new Buick LeSabre, a 1988 Buick LeSabre. It was gray on the outside and gray on the inside. I had bought it just a a few weeks or maybe months, I don't remember, after after my wife left and I was in serious depression. Let me give you a piece of advice here. When you're going through a a serious season, walking in the valley of the shadow of the death, don't make big decisions. Don't go out and buy a car. And so I had a, a gray inside and outside Buick LeSabre, but it was an awesome car. And it was the Lord's car. And he wanted to smoke a cigarette. And the only smoke the Lord approved of was, of course, holy smoke. And I was pretty confident my new friend was not exhaling that flavor. And so he left me with no choice. Without hesitation, I told him that he could not smoke in the Lord's car. I mean, how, how could I have an unbeliever tainting my vehicle with his worldly smoke. You wouldn't do that because you love Jesus. And, and you know, it, it all seemed so obvious to me back then. Now, he consented, and after we arrived at the church building, I, I parked the Lord's car, and we began walking toward the Lord's building. And as we approached the church building, he asked me once again if he could smoke. This time before he entered to worship with the Lord's people. One of the things that struck me was his humility. What I mean by that is that it reminded me when I was a kid and how we refrained from doing certain things on Sunday. We were hardcore unbelievers. Me and my four brothers, well, my parents too, we were hardcore pagans, but we had cultural respect for religion. And he had a similar kind of humility. And it was probably his humility, and of course his persistence to want to smoke, that wore me down. And so after his last query, I acquiesced and I permitted him to smoke his cigarette outside the outside the church building. I figured 
If I did not let him smoke, he might, he might, he might light up inside. I didn't know what he was going to do. And man, we can't sit in those beautiful wooden pews in our beautiful sanctuary. And he light up his camel. I will never forget that night when I stood on the sidewalk alongside our church building with my new friend and his lit cigarette. What made it memorable was how consumed my mind was with this one thought. Here it is. What do my brothers and sisters think about me associating with a cigarette smoker? There were about 500 people who filed by me that night. It seemed like 5,000, not counting the women and children, of course. I was humiliated. Think about it. I was hanging with an unbeliever who dared to light up outside a church building. I mean, it's not like he was a Baptist deacon. And it was only moments before we were going to go and worship our holy God. I did not want anyone to see me with him in that context. I was ashamed. I genuinely, I am, I am not lying. I was ashamed. It was it was one thing to be talking to the pagans in their trailer park on a Saturday afternoon, but to bring them to your place where people are clean and pure and, and holy. I mean, really, who would do such a thing? I was a white, male, middle-income, God-fearing American who was doing his darndest to separate from the world, and I was dragging the dregs of our society right into God's house. I am not altogether sure why I chickened out that night by letting him smoke outside the Lord's house. I should have stood firm for Jesus, but that's not how it went. There I stood on the sidewalk alongside my church building completely naked. I mean, all of my self-righteousness exposed before God and humanity. I have no idea what happened to my friend. I don't, don't know his name, have no clue who he is. If by some weird chance that he happened to stumble across his podcast and he doesn't remember my name, but he remembers the story, I wish he would reach out to me. I, well, first of all, I want to apologize, but I hope that God saved him. But I don't remember anything beyond our smoked up sidewalk scene. Now, maybe he was regenerated. And if that's true, it happened despite me not because of me. I probably could not have done anything more wrong in being Jesus to him. Now, this story probably does not relate to you. If you were in the same circumstance, you would have let my friend light up and not given two hoots about what others thought about you or your friend. I'm sure he could puff away, flick his butt, and fear or self-righteousness would never have crossed your mind as you and cigarette breath entered the Lord's house. I am sure your thoughts would have been more about his soul than his lungs, but I have to be honest. I was not thinking about his lungs or his soul. I could only think about myself. Whether he went to heaven or hell was not nearly as important to me as what my Christian friends thought about me. 
my self-righteous story, it reminds me of the Savior's friends. Those he was trying to train, you know, he had like 12 people in his mastermind group. In, in, in Mark 10, we see how they were struggling similarly with an arrogant, self-important, and self-righteous attitude that put them in direct opposition to the one they were supposed to be following. It goes like this. And they were bringing the children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, quote, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. I am fully confident that night on the sidewalk had more to do with me than cigarette breath. My self-righteousness reeked to high heaven, worse than the elder brother looking down on his prodigal sibling. I was hindering the work of God because because of my biblical immaturity. I was so concerned about my reputation and how my friends perceived me that I could not see the yearning Savior who moves through the smoke of our world to capture the hearts of the needy. In some ways, I I wish I was more like my smoking friend. There was a humility about him. He was way more humble than me. Rather than a willingness to cave to societal expectations or religious snobbery, He had a genuine and authentic interest in learning about the Savior that night. This story from my past is not a morbid walk through the darkness of my deceived and depraved heart. I'm not guilt-tripping here, though I think it is good to take occasional deep heart dives every now and again. I'm not lost in this. I'm not drowning in morbid introspection. But I realize that the heart is the fountainhead from which all issues of life pour forth. That's Proverbs 4.23. Therefore, I, I must be bold enough and humble enough to take my soul to task occasionally. As John Dunn said much better than I, I love this quote. This is one of my favorite Dunn quotes. Poor, intricated soul, riddling, perplexed, labyrinthical soul. The inner maze of my heart is daunting and depressing for sure. And to top it off, I am self-deceived. I do not fully understand the depth of my depravity. And on that night, on that sidewalk, I, I missed the mark. And this reflection is one feeble attempt to look but not linger. Please look backward. Please address your heart, but don't linger as I review where I was, where I am, and where I need to be. Paul says in Ephesians 4.22, he urges me to be aware of what to put off. To put off, to discard the old man with his deeds. You cannot put off the old man if you do not know what to remove. Therefore, you do take these occasional looks, but you don't linger. If I must take out the trash of my heart, and I must, then I need to know where and what the garbage is. 
The good news is I do not have to think too long about the where question, where is the garbage? Well, the sin is in my heart. The what question can be tricky, though. But through prayer and community and personal reflection, my goal is to experience change by the grace of God, by mortifying the deeds of my body to glorify God in my sanctification. And perhaps you can surround yourself with those three companions as well, prayer, community, and personal reflection. Spend time talking to the Lord, asking Him without drowning in morbid introspection about some of the things you've done in your past. Spend time talking to others. Be transparent, be humble, be vulnerable, be willing to listen, be a learner, and then personally reflect on those two conversations that you have with the Lord and with your friends. And, and, and maybe God will reveal things to you that you can address. For me, well, it was self-righteousness. And honestly, self-righteousness is a foundational sin. Apart from unbelief, which is the ultimate foundation, as far as sin is concerned, you can't go farther. You can't go below unbelief. But self-righteousness is one of the biggest hindrances in my walk with God and, and others. To obey the, the two commands, to love God and others well, well, it is self-righteousness, that foundational sin that sits on top of my functional atheism or my functional unbelief. You could easily see how it hindered my relationship with my pagan friend. You see, to be self-righteous means to have a higher view of myself than, than what God does. God is not as impressed with myself as, as I am. My self-righteousness was the smoking gun that night. I fell to the temptation of comparing myself to my friend, and I was comparing myself also to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I was looking down on my friend, but I was looking up to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I did not want them to look down on me, and therefore I was between a rock and a hard place. I wanted their approval. I did not want their rejection. But I was standing there with my pagan friend, and I did not want to be judged by my legalistic brothers. And so I was between that rock and hard place. I had a high view of myself. I did not want any of my friends to think less of me. The only opinions that mattered in the parking lot that night were those I could see, the opinions of those who filed by me, rather than from the one that I could not see. The only opinion that should have mattered should have been the Lord's opinion. And if that was the controlling opinion in my life that night, that night would have been remarkably different. Because of the great love that I had for myself, I honestly, I lived out biblical hatred. I lived out hatred toward my friend. I was not serving him in the manner that Jesus would have helped him. And so without a severe course correction, my self-righteousness would have even matured more to the point that I would continue to have diminishing sensitivities to the Spirit of God. Sin dulls the senses. You are dull of hearing. Eventually, it will become a hard heart. If I had continued on this progression, this trajectory that I was on that night, 
in time, I would have lost all touch in how to serve others as my legalism would continue to grow exponentially. Self-righteousness does more than look down on others. It's an unloving sin that elevates you while putting distance between what you could provide for others. It circumvents the love of Christ from affecting those in need. Over a quarter of a century ago, the only light that mattered was the one on the end of my friend's cigarette. What should have counted most of all was whether the light of the world was going to light up my friend's heart. Now, perhaps you are not as legalistic as I was. Maybe your issue is not with cigarettes and what other people think. What about gay people? Are you more concerned with their souls than their lifestyles? What about people who do not have your skin color? Can you look past their pigmentation to see their souls? Perhaps you do not struggle with people's sins or skin, but you're maybe maybe you're impatient or unloving or unforgiving toward those who, who cannot seem to get it right. Sometimes we can look down on those who sin in ways that we do not. Ways where we have victory is a could be a, a setup to where we can look down on those who have not who have not learned as we have learned. What about you? What kind of sinner attempts you to sin the most? The truth is you and I we're not different from them in that we are not perfect. We all have our issues, right? Cigarettes may be a small thing for you, but if you spend a little time making personal and reflective applications, you might find someone that you do not care for or someone who tempts you. When you do, you will discover self-righteousness in your heart. Perchance, you do discern how self-righteousness has captured your heart, at least in this area, with a particular person, individual, or people group. A simple prayer can begin changing you and your relationships. And that is where I started. The title of this podcast, the article that I just shared with you, Irritated over what a person does will keep you from helping them. Here's a few questions on the call to action part at the bottom of this, at the bottom of this article. My point is not to condone any sin. I'm not. I, I, I want my hatred to be as intense as it can possibly be toward sin, whether it's mine or or others, I want to hate sin. And a hate, if you go back and listen to the millions of words that I have written out or put in video or put in these podcasts, there's a word that you will rarely hear, and it's the word hate, because I don't use that word flippantly. There are some words that I do not use except in the most exacting way. One of those words is hell. 
I don't talk about hell on earth because that's just that's wrong. It diminishes what hell is. Hate is another one of those strong words, and I don't I don't use I don't throw that word around. Rarely will I use that word. I don't say that I hate ice cream or let let me use something that's accurate. I don't say that I hate mayonnaise. I say I disdain mayonnaise. But when it comes to sin, I, I hate sin. That's the appropriate word. And so I'm not condoning sin when someone sins. There's a time and there's a place to deal with those matters. But for this podcast, for this article that I've written out for you, the big idea here is about self-righteousness that gets in the way of building a relationship with someone so that you can show them a better way to live. Here's a question for you to think about. Do you have an illustration similar to mine? Now, if you don't, Praise God. Praise God. You're doing better. You're more mature than I am. And I do genuinely praise God for that. But do you have an illustration similar to mine? How did you position yourself to be a redemptive force in that person's life? What could you have done differently? As I've reflected on this story, I've, I've seen many things. In fact, that story had a lot to do with my progression out of fundamentalism, my progression out of legalism and that behavioristic lifestyle where people are so judgmental about externals. That was one of those marks that I can go back to that God used to truly begin a transformation in my life. Number two, are there individuals or people groups that annoy you so much that it hinders you from thinking redemptively about them? And my follow-up question is, what would Jesus do? Now, I have two more questions here in the call to action, and you're welcome to go to this article titled, Irritated Over What a Person Does Will Keep You From Helping Them. And as always, if you won't talk to us, come to our forums and let's do just that. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.